guys go ahead and take a seat. This morning, oh, good morning to you too. This morning, we are not going to be back in Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe that's good news for you, but instead, we are going to be in the Gospel of John, uh, about midway through chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. And. What had just happened is that Jesus had fed 5,000 people with loaves and fishes. So that's the miraculous sign that is referenced here in verse 14. Therefore, when the men saw the miraculous sign that Jesus had performed, they said, this man really is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, He went away to the mountains by Himself. Now when evening came, His disciples went down to the sea. And when they got into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, yet Jesus had not come to them. Then a high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But He said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take Him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were headed. This ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray and ask for His help in these minutes that we have together. Lord, in Your mercy, we do pray for Your help to not just hear these familiar words and process them cognitively, but we know that even since we have gathered together last time, we have built a wall in our hearts, a a fortress of obstinacy, of hearing Your Word and not really receiving it. And so we pray that You would Situate us afresh as You have gathered us here as Your people in Your presence. And that we would see ourselves in this passage. That You are conducting business with us, as it were. That You are engaging us as Lord and friend. And that You are calling us to faith, calling us to repentance. And to a degree of sanctified self-awareness about our lives. And that's really wherever we fall on the spectrum spiritually, whether we come full of faith and maybe stumbling a little bit, uh, maybe doubting a lot, tired, ready, like the disciples, to move on, or just really find ourselves here half coerced because someone invited us and we were too nice not to come. We're not really sure we believe this. Wherever we sit on that spectrum, Lord, open our hearts today to see reality as it's embodied in Your Son, Jesus. It's in His name we pray and for His sake. Amen. Well, the day that we just read about this episode uh, about Jesus' life, if, 
Jesus was a journal keeper, if he wrote down, kept a diary. The heading, I think, for this day would have been left behind. Because Jesus, in fact, does get left behind by his disciples almost immediately after the stuff of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, this passage focuses on the disciples' response to Jesus, and in particular, their own questions, and, and, and I want to suggest maybe even their disappointment about his mission, his person, his purpose, and maybe how it is not quite congealing with their own expectations. So it's especially applicable to us this morning as Christians, and it challenges us to see Jesus as he offers himself to us. And so I want us to think about this passage and look at this passage through really two hooks that we can hang um, our, our attention on. Sink and sail. All right, so let's talk about this first one, sink. Why did Jesus get left behind by the disciples? Now remember, he had figured out that the crowd of 5,000 uh, was really excited about a free meal, about free eats, about this miracle that they had seen Jesus done. And they were so excited, that some of them wanted to make Jesus king as a result. Jesus would be their king, in fact, but not in the way they thought he would be king, really not even in the way that they wanted. They wanted glory. They wanted power. They wanted someone ultimately to kick Rome out of Jerusalem. But Jesus is a unique kind of king. He is their Lord, and he comes on his terms, and really for his own sake and not for the sake of others and what they want. Well, the disciples are kind of feeling this, and Jesus is not around. And it says in the passage that it was darker, that darkness had fallen. Now, here's just a little key for you, a little clue, a little freebie. Whenever you're reading the Gospel of John...
does? Why does he do them like he does? Why does his timing, you know, we don't say this out loud or in Bible study, though Bible study is a great place to articulate some of this stuff, but we think, why is God's timing, why is Jesus' timing in my life and our lives so bad? Why isn't he doing anything? Why is it that I'm showing up but Jesus is not showing up? This Christian stuff is not like what I really thought it was going to be like. Christ could be taking care of business, right? He could be healing. He could be growing our church. He could be doing any number of things, and he just didn't. Just is not. And so maybe we sit in the place of being disappointed and dissatisfied. So why do we leave? Let's just be honest. Maybe we feel like the disciples there. Why do we leave Jesus behind whenever we have these sinking feelings one way or another. For some of us, it's probably the crushed expectations of personal struggle. And I think in the Christian life, and particularly for Christians in America, there's sometimes this expectation, and it's predominantly because of bad teaching, or sometimes it's even not even explicit teaching, but just kind of what we communicate to one another by how we order our lives, that to be a Christian means that you have arrived, right? That you are sailing, so to speak. That there won't be any meaningful temptation, any meaningful suffering or struggle for us once we follow Jesus. That somehow what Jesus really is, is simply a chaplain for the American dream. He makes it happen for us. He gives us that security, that mobility, that influence. And yet, once we fall through that, once we fall out of that boat, we think, well, why am I in the boat with you anyway, Jesus? It's like St. Teresa of Avila said, Jesus, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. But if you've even taken more than a brief glance at Scripture, it should unburden us from the expectations of just being properly middle class or at least middle class as a priority, and realizing that there is more to the Christian life than Jesus just simply moving us upward and onward like so much of what is talked about in American life. And in fact, there is a different kind of calling that is put on our life, a different kind of promise even that we are going to share in his life, but also share in And what that means is sharing his suffering. For example, listen to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It has been granted to you. Granted. That is gift language. This is a funny gift. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Yes, we want to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. James chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom of God? And aren't the rich ones the ones who oppress you. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may endure. So it's another way of saying he actually will tempt you beyond your ability, but he will, by his grace, give you what you need in the midst of that temptation. But also, I think we feel like getting in the boat, leaving Jesus behind because of the promise 
of what could be in our lives, in our church, in our churches. What could be in light of His power and what we know of His power and His presence. And yet for the glory and grandeur of how God is described and how we see Him working and then what we see as we size up our own lives and our own congregations, it seems so small and ineffective. Not too long ago, I had a conversation with a a young man who's younger than me anyway, and um, he works with Young Life in Portland. And this guy mashes. And that's a good thing if you haven't picked up on my slang. If you mash, you're working hard, you're putting shoulder to the plow, you care about what's important. Um, And we were having coffee, and he was just, he wasn't burned out, but he was just really tired. And he was just being very candid, which I appreciate with people in ministry. We're not trying to always paint over with a patina of everything is happy joy joyer, the Lego song, everything is awesome, but it's just a reality of uh, that ministry is hard. And he was just saying, man, I am so tired of struggling to grow. And mainly I'm so tired of flack from other Christians wondering why we don't grow and then getting opposition from those in the schools where we serve. And it just seems like we're doing the right things with, with good intentions and Yet the people that we think that are on board with us are not on board. And the students who seem to be growing just kind of jump off. And we're wondering really, and he was wondering really, where is God in the midst of this? Where is Jesus in the midst of this? Has he gotten in his boat and left me behind? And he's asking this about good things in in ministry and wanting to see high school students who don't know the Lord come to Christ. And so I wonder, what would you tell him if you sat across from him and had coffee. Well, look at what Jesus does. Look at how Jesus answers. And this is his disciples, because this is what they're asking him. And this is kind of what we're asking Jesus too. And this is the second part. First part was looking at sink, but now we're looking at sail. The disciples were at a place where they were going to sink. And not just figuratively, figuratively, right? They weren't just like, huh, we don't know where Jesus is. They're on a boat. They're going down, right? So they are literally uh, about to hit the bottom of the lake. They had rowed out to the middle of the sea, this lake. There is wind, there is waves, there is trouble, and they knew it. And then what happens? Jesus strolls up. Jesus walks out to him. Now, now why does Jesus walk? There's some things maybe we'll never know. Maybe this will be one of the first questions you'll ask whenever you go in the glory. Jesus, why did you walk, right? Because he could have calmed down the sea from where he was, Kind of got it, you know, nice, glassy, stood at the shore and said, guys, y'all owe me. Come on back. We've got some stuff to settle out. But he didn't do that. He walks out. And the wind and the waves are still going on, by the way. And he identifies himself, right? He says, it is I. You know, he's not, when he says it is I, he's not simply giving a, an audio name tag. He's not simply saying, hey, guys, it's Jesus. Right? He's, he's doing something else. When he says, it is I, this is a very pregnant phrase for his Jewish disciples. The Greek is ego a me, which is not important for you to know, but it's why I'm telling you that is this is a phrase that is actually used in the Old Testament. When Jesus says, it is I, this is, this is a way that the disciples are going to know exactly who he is. Because if you go to Exodus chapter 3, whenever Moses stands before the burning bush 
And this voice out of the bush gives him a call, a mission to go to his people and say, hey, we're going to get out of Dodge, right? We're leaving Egypt. He says, well, who am I going to tell them sent me? I'm talking to a bush. This is a burning bush. This seems kind of crazy. And what does the Lord say? Tell them, ego a me. Tell them, I am sends you. So what Jesus does, he reminds them, maybe even teaches them, that in their struggles, in their doubts, in their wandering and their wondering at his ways of working in them and working in the world, that he is God. He is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the God who has been faithful to preserve, to protect, to spiritually prosper his people in the past, and he's doing so now. And he is present at work even with them. And notice, I said this before, but notice he comes to them in the midst of the storm. The storm continues, so you can imagine just how surreal this whole experience is. He doesn't change his agenda. He doesn't explain the details of the ways in which he's working. But simply he comes to them, he comes for them, and he delivers them. But you see, it's only when they see their need that they will sink without him, that he delivers them. He's not being reckless. But the disciples are learning the lesson of the fish and the loaves that they had just witnessed before, that only when you see and feel your need for Jesus will you receive him. Will you be rescued? Will you even want to be rescued? Which is maybe the most important thing there. So I want to ask you, Are you there in the boat with the disciples? Have you sunk? Or do you feel yourself sinking? Um, I have a a friend who is a a pastor, actually used to be a pastor. In many ways, he was a, a, a model to me in this whole kind of uh, spectrum. He was a, he's a really intelligent guy, educated, excellent preacher. Man, he could bring it. He's actually nationally known for a season, had a large church in Texas. He was the guy that would just be regularly asked to speak at conferences, at our, at our general assembly, at seminaries. And he was blown and going for well over 20 years. His kids went to Stanford. I mean, it was almost enough to make you just sick, right? He just had it all going. And all of a sudden, it wasn't going. He sank. He wasn't just sinking. He sank. All that, in some level, wasn't enough. Because what he had done is he had developed a drug habit. Um, it happened a little bit by accident, but then it also happened that he was starting to steal. He'd go into the people's homes of, that he was going to visit on pastoral visits and just take drugs out of their cabinet to kind of feed his addiction. You think, why? He was respected. He was set. He had security. He had respect and honor and all these things. Some of it was pressure. I think some of it was actually boredom. Some of it was thrill. Some of it just happened by accident, but he lost it all. He sank. He hit bottom. And thing is, it took all of that for him to see what he was like 
and how he was kind of living without Jesus in the center. Now, God was gracious, and after several years, he's back serving others. He's not in the pastorate anymore, and there's still some scars, and there's still some collateral damage, so it's not all, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But I want to say that he, there's a sense in which, because he has had to go through the trenches and really be carried out of the trenches uh, um, by Jesus, that he is much more effective in his ministry. There's a sense in which, especially to ministers like me, he seems a little bit more real, a little bit more approachable, that the stuff that he's talking about in the pulpit actually has some meaning, some texture for him as well. And he would even say now about his life that he lives where he should have been living all along with a sense that every day he needs Christ, whether it is feast or famine, whether it is wind and waves or whether it's comfort on the shore. But it shouldn't take calamity or drift to know that Christ is there for us, to have trust and confidence and even a wisdom that the power of Jesus was for him and is there for us. He bears witness now, and I think what the, the, where this passage is pushing us is that we want to bear witness as well in our lives and even be forced, in a sense, to have this self-awareness that this passage is calling us to, to have a, a kind of um, sense of what God has done, that Jesus will get us to the other side, that Jesus is with us in the midst of the storm. And as we look to Christ, as we look to the one who is the great I am, he promises and he will fulfill what he promises to deliver us, to be with us in the journey. And not just deliver us to heaven as some kind of escape from the hardness of here and now, though that is true. But he will deliver us even now so that we persevere in the hardness, in the wind, in the waves. Both of circumstances and of our own doubts and worries. He is with us. He is for us. He is yours and my great I am. Let's hold to him by faith because he's holding on to us. Let's pray. Lord, in your mercy, please hear us as we cry out to you. You didn't stay on the shore. You didn't make us paddle back. You come out to us in our struggles, in our trials, even in our waywardness and our boneheadedness spiritually. And we don't want to take that as a ticket to continue to be hard-headed, obstinate, privileging doubt over faith, but we do celebrate and acknowledge that you deliver us and you will save us and you will never leave us behind. And that even in the midst of that stuff that presses in on us, that maybe tempts us to turn to the left or the right, Because you were there, you were using that as pressures to shape us and mold us in godliness and faithfulness. For your glory and for the sake of our souls 
in the lives of others. Help us in our weakness. Make us strong by his strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we continue our worship.